my body gave in and I then was unable to walk from my waist down. I just couldn't move a thing. Welcome back to Other People's Lives. I'm Joe Santagato. I'm Greg Dybeck. For anyone out there that would like to be a part of the show, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can uh, reach us at our email, oplpodcast at gmail.com, or go to our website, oplshow.com, and uh, send us an email through there. And if you want to support the show while getting bonus episodes, you can head over to patreon.com slash oplshow. It's just $5 a month. You get weekly behind-the-scenes episodes. You get conversations with guests that will never appear on this main channel. You get access to our Discord chat to talk with us, other listeners, and previous guests that we bring into the chat. And you will be part of our Helping Other People initiative uh, where you can help us decide what to do with a portion of our patron funds every single month uh, to donate to a charity or come up with some sort of creative charitable venture. And uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash OPL show to be part of that. And today we're going to be speaking with an anorexia survivor who had an intense battle with the illness and a long journey to recovery. And, you know, I think it's important to note, especially on this show, if you've been listening for a while, way, way back in one of our earliest seasons, we spoke with a guest who was pro anorexia. Uh, It was for sure the most controversial episode that we've done. It was one of the hardest episodes to host, honestly, if you've listened to that episode. Uh, it's it was, it was hard not to judge. Clearly something that Joe and myself uh, did not agree with. And I think it's you know important that we make it clear through this platform that anorexia is it's not a lifestyle, it's an illness, it's a disease. And we are happy to be able to have today's guest on to walk us through her experience and uh, ultimately her steps to recovery. So thank you for being on the show today. Hi. Hey, so to just kick it off, uh, can you just kind of define anorexia uh, for for us and and all the listeners? Yeah, well, it's exactly what you said, to be honest. It's not a lifestyle. For me, it's not only a life-threatening disease, but it is a life-destroying disease. Um, Not only for the actual person that has it, but for their family as well. The the impact that it had on my family um, is just, yeah, phenomenal. And um, my my dad, for example, he still can't talk about it without tearing up, you know. It's, I was his, his daughter at the end of the day going through a really, really tough time. But yeah, I just can't stress enough how much I feel. Well, I know that it's not a lifestyle, it's not a choice. I didn't know what was going on. Um, but it is a life-threatening disease and illness. Um, can you kind of tell us about, you know, in the beginning, um, you know, kind of like when you started struggling with this and what kind of effects it was having on you? Yeah, well, I, I didn't, that's the thing. Like, you don't actually, well, I didn't. I didn't realize there was anything wrong. I had no idea. I was completely oblivious. Um, I used to dance. And I remember my dance teacher, we basically were doing a show and my dance teacher um, just just made a comment like, oh, you all need to get um, into the best shape of your life. And that sort of, I don't know why, but it stuck. And I started, I sort of started cutting out food. So not anything drastic. It was literally just like not eating chocolate and crisps, that sort of thing. And then it just, I guess it just expanded from there. I, would, I was only 12 um, when I was referred 
to the end disorder clinic and um yeah i would i would go to school and i would I started not having lunch, you know, that sort of thing, changing my breakfast, thinking, oh, okay, well, my parents, they've given me pocket money, but they're not going to know if I don't have lunch, that sort of thing. Um, And then it just got extremely excessive to the point where I would know the calories in absolutely everything. I would only eat certain things, even to the point of, I don't know, knowing that this this one chicken sandwich from Tesco's had like 273 calories and I wouldn't touch a different one, mm, you know, that sort yeah. of thing. Um, but I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize that there was anything actually wrong. I just, I just wanted to get in the best shape possible. Um, then it was my mum that noticed it because you, when you're so, when you're sort of so malnourished, you get like a layer of down on your, um, on your skin because your body can't keep warm. So, my parents would have noticed that I would be absolutely freezing and I'd have to sort of wear a scarf. I was getting like a layer of down over um, my body and would have to have like two duvets, a heated blanket underneath um, the mat, like on top of the mattress, sorry. And um, yeah, that's when my mum realised that I lost quite a lot of weight. So she took me to the eating disorder clinic and no actually sorry she took me to the gp first who then said oh yeah she has lost a dramatic uh, dramatic amount of weight then took they referred me to the eating disorder clinic and i was told to have these you know i don't know if you've um i don't know what your guys equivalent are but sort of sort of like a protein shake but one with like loads of calories in it so they mm-hmm. wanted to drink those shakes to put on weight yeah just those like nutrition packed like calorie packed sort of drinks yeah yeah they'd give you like different flavors and stuff to make them more appealing but um can i ask though when you went into this do you know about how much weight you lost so i was when i was referred to the clinic by the gp i was eight eight around 89 pounds then i um when i was actually hospitalized so this was early jan 2006 i was about 89 pounds and that was because my parents had noticed i'd lost um, a large amount of weight um i never had and also that's another thing like i never had issues with food when i was younger and that's another thing that people have the misconception with that you've always had an issue with food you've had a really bad upbringing i didn't at all i've got the most amazing parents um i went to a grammar school um, it was actually when I first, I was in year seven. I don't know what your equivalent is, but it's like the first year of secondary school when this was this all started happening. Um, but there was nothing that I, c- I could say that triggered it, triggered it apart from that. That's only that I can remember that dan- my dance teacher saying that. That's the only mm-hmm. thing that I can think of. And it just stuck in my head. Um, and then it just became habit at that point, like really just... I guess that first trigger of her saying get in the best shape and then just, I guess, obsessiveness over like calorie intake and and things like that. And, and did you start immediately kind of noticing a change in your body that you at first thought was positive? I remember. So even though I was only 12, I was, I was like quite a good dancer and my, I would often sort of host the classes for my teacher, things like that. And I do remember one time, um that I wore like a crop top and some trousers and like dance trousers and I felt I guess comfortable I felt like a bit like oh okay like this is paid off a little bit um but then it just 
my mum used to have to take in my trousers, my dance trousers, like regularly because they were just getting so big and they didn't do like a different size. But even then, I never thought I'm too thin. And it was never, again, this is a misconception that it's all about looking in the mirror and being like, oh, I look great today. It's not that I used to wear baggy clothes. When I used to shower, I used to cover the shower mirror with a towel because I didn't want to see myself. It was nothing to do with that. Um, It is, it's just... My, my dad referred to it as another person. So when I would, so when I requested my medical notes, um, there was one thing that really shocked me, which was like violent behavior and things like that. I never realized because I was so small, I got to, when I was hospitalized, I was 60 pounds. So that's yeah, UK 4.3 stone. Wow. Um, and how, how tall were you? I'm one, I was about the same, so I'm, it was like one, one meter fifty-two. So not, I'm not sure. I'm about five. I don't think I've grown that much since then. To be honest, I'm like five six. Okay. Okay. I don't know what the equivalent is. So five foot six. Well then, okay. <laughs> yeah. Regardless, sixty pounds is yeah obviously very light. Yeah, it's yeah very very small. Um, but yeah, so it was. It was also excessive exercising. That's again what took what took over. Um, I would, when I was at school, I wouldn't spend any time with my friends. I would literally walk around the school trying to just burn calories. Um, and I remember once somebody said, and I heard them, "Oh, look, there's that anorexic girl," and it was such a shock to me because I hadn't ever, I didn't know I had that. If that makes sense, and just burst into tears just like oh my god I can't I can't believe someone thinks that I've got that because I was just completely in denial about it I guess and I just I didn't know what what was going on I just knew that I I it's really really hard to explain there was just some there's something in your head which makes you think what you've done is not enough and you feel guilty um you'd like right this is how i this is the best way i can explain it so say if you go swimming and you do i don't know 10 lengths and then the next time you go swimming you try and do 12 lengths because you're like well i did 10 before so surely i can do 12 this time Mm -hmm. and it's it just continues like that where so it's like oh okay well i only had half an apple yesterday so why would I need to have more today? Because I only had half an apple yesterday. Does that make sense? It yeah. that, it does make a lot of sense. Like I think where my mind's going, I guess to to form some sort of relation is like exercise. Like I know me and Joe talk about this a lot. It's 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 almost like goal setting to the point that it becomes dangerous of, you know, when, when does something stop? You know, I ran 10 miles last week, 12 miles, 15 miles, like now I'm running and I'm hurt i'm injuring myself but i i have to hit this goal or i have to keep up this progress to the point that it's not even healthy anymore it's just an obsession to sort of reach another goal or do something better you know than i did last time if that makes sense yeah literally hit the nail on the head it is a it's a complete obsession and i wouldn't i wouldn't sit down so i think there's I think a lot of people have got the impression that eating late is bad for you. It sort of sits on you and 
I think that's where my obsession came from in that regard. I wouldn't eat past a certain time. And then then it started growing to, okay, you can't sit down until this time. So again, an obsession of if like if I went to sit down at half past seven, I'd be like, well, I, I was stood up until 8 p.m. yesterday, so I need to do that today. Wow. Or I would make up reasons to walk to my granny used to live down the road and I'd I remember doing this I don't know why I did it now but I would make up reasons that I would have to walk to hers just to burn those extra calories yeah and so you were keeping track of how far you were walking or how many calories you were burning or you just were making sure like I need to be standing for a certain amount of time today yeah I didn't I didn't keep track um but I started doing things like I would start walking to school instead and doing extra classes after school like sports classes which I didn't even enjoy do you know what I mean I don't even like sport really and and Um, you were 12 at this time yeah I was 12 um so I'm 27 now and um yeah I was 12 when I was hospitalized um and again that was so I was about 70 pounds when they they were like right we might have to admit her I said it to my parents and then it was like a couple of um a couple of days later um after they've said like she's showing really abnormal behavior because your brain if you're like I said if you're so malnourished you don't function properly your brain doesn't work properly and that's when they hospitalized me and I, I remember I was at the eating disorder clinic and my dad um well, my mum and my dad would drive me there a couple of times a week. And they would they would say, like, look, if you lose any more weight, you're going to have to have a tube in. And I was like, well, if if I don't let you put a tube in, how are you going to do it? Do you know what I mean? So I was sort of in denial. Like, well, I'm saying no, so I'm not having one. And then, yeah, the day that I actually got hospitalised, my mum and dad got a suitcase out the back of the car and they'd had it in there for weeks. And I'll tell you what, at that time... I I could not have hated them more because I hated everybody as well. That's the thing. You don't you don't think that the dietitian or the doctor is trying to help you. You just you just think just let me live my life. It's my it's my it's my life. Obviously, they're trying to help you, but I just felt as though they were they were a hindrance, and I didn't deserve to live and to just leave just to leave me alone basically. And then the deceit of my mum and dad having that in the back of the car, I think that was why I was in such a bad state when I did get hospitalised because I just felt so deceived, I guess, because I thought, I didn't think I was, I didn't think it would happen to me. I I honestly didn't. I didn't think I would be taken in. Yeah. And and it just shows how much of a grip, you know, the, that illness and obsession has like especially your age being a 12 year old and then even being admitted to the hospital you know not necessarily changing your behavior or making you realize that the people you know around you are trying to help you and then from a parent's perspective that must be so scary for them and you know you alluded to it in the beginning that your dad even still has a hard time talking about it and I can imagine uh, what it's like when there's a support system around you that's just trying to not just help you but essentially save your life and you're still not able to see that they're trying to help you you know and essentially still going through the same motions that you know are hurting you and got you in the hospital in the first place and that's really scary to think about yeah and it's not only so obviously the whole me having anorexia was 
sort of soul destroying for them and it was a horrific time but it was then what followed from that so like we've said it's it's not a lifestyle and like the I'll I'll move on to what I what happened to me whilst I was in hospital to sort of reiterate it is not a lifestyle it is I was literally days away from dying I used to have people come in the room and pray you know my family came over from France to say goodbye and it was it it was literally a matter of days um that I was away from dying ultimately because I was starving to death and um I would have bed sores because my bones were just sticking out you know you get bed sores anyway because I was in hospital for two months but you get bed sores even if you're a healthy weight let alone when your coccyx bone is sticking into um a hospital bed do you know what I mean mm. so um yeah I was hospitalized and then they tried to make me eat and I didn't um and then they said they're gonna have to put the tube in so I guess you know what one of the tubes are that goes through your nose down um you throw it into your stomach a feeding tube essentially yeah so force feed. can you can you kind of explain why like even being hospitalized I'm assuming they're having conversations with you and you know you kind of have to know in your head like okay this has gotten pretty bad right now I'm in the hospital for two months and you're still kind of refusing to eat you know what what I wasn't I wasn't in the hospital for two months before the tube was in oh was, gotcha like um like a, a couple of days um but I just did not I just thought they were overreacting honestly I just I really didn't understand because it is it is such a it's such a horrible illness which takes over your mind and you just can't think logically at all I thought everybody was against me and then therefore I hated them because I just thought what are you doing um like why didn't you just let me go home like and I, and I didn't want it I didn't want to live and when I was reading my hospital notes it did say something along the lines of um Beth said to the staff today that she didn't deserve to live she wanted to spend her last months at home and um if they made her over five stone then she'd be fat and she didn't want that something along those lines which is just now I look back it's like a completely different person but I I, I can't explain it but it is it's just a disease where it makes you not see things for how they really are like I wouldn't have looked in the mirror and thought oh you're looking a bit skinny because I didn't even really look in the mirror it wasn't about how I looked at all Wow. And did they eventually get the tube in? And I guess what, uh, you know, at, at its worst, how, how did this begin to, you know, affect you and your body? So uh, they, so yeah, they put the tube in and, um, but they did that when I was asleep. So I, I do, because I was sedated for quite a lot of it, but not like fully sedated. It was just sort of, it's all like a bit of a blur um, because I would kick off and things like that um they went to put the tube in me um when i was sleeping and i think i think i had like i had tramadol but i i was still able to if somebody was on top of me i knew that they were there sort of thing like not fully unconscious and then yeah i just sort of remember like a nurse being on top of me like trying to i didn't know what she was trying to do um and then i woke up the next day and I couldn't move from my waist down and 
basically my body because I'd been fight trying to fight and I was so small my body gave in and I then was unable to walk from my waist down I just couldn't move a thing um I could feel but I couldn't move them if that makes sense wow and th- that's just a because you were just malnourished and you were yeah. expending too much energy sort of fighting back yeah my body just gave in because I was I was ultimately just a skeleton I guess um and couldn't get they were gonna get this tube in me and I just couldn't I, I obviously just gave in um and then yeah so when I woke up the next day I tried to be like what the hell has just happened to me but I couldn't talk because the tube that they'd put in um they didn't have there was one I think they wanted to put like the silk one in so it was obviously like a little bit softer but with the the one that they put in it was like slightly too big for my throat and then there was like a split on the top and the bottom so I couldn't I couldn't talk um so I had to write on like a whiteboard to like my family. Um, and even then I was just begging for them to get me out. Um, but yeah, so I couldn't talk and I couldn't move the bottom half of me. So yeah, that was obviously extremely traumatic, but it was also traumatic for my parents too, because they've just, they're, they're there thinking, oh my God, we've not we've done this to her, but we've allowed it to happen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, it needed it, it needed to happen and you said you were uh, there for for two months like how how many yeah. days of, the, of that two months did you uh spend on the the feeding tube oh the whole two months so when i was discharged with the tube um but so then i so basically i had that happened and then um so I, they were put in i don't know i think it worked out about like a whole day whole day's worth of calories in like whilst I was sleeping and things like that um and they well probably more than that to be honest um just to try and make me put on weight but then um I started getting pains in like my arms and my legs um and they they had to do um so I basically got refeeding syndrome so that was because my body was so used to not having food then when you've got the food going into your body it's a shock so your body just doesn't know how to react to that um and then I think it was from that I got um bone marrow suppression so I had to have like a bone marrow transplant then um I had I got water on my lungs as well and had to literally like sit up in sit up for days to basically drain these from my lungs um had a heart hole in my heart valve because my heart was trying to pump so hard and then the worst the worst part that um I had I got septicemia so um again because my body was so malnourished and it couldn't fight off any infection then through I think it was through a cannula that the infection got in there and I I was in absolute agony and they they didn't they thought it might have been meningitis but then it it wasn't meningitis so it was actually I personally think they left it for quite a few days too many but when they realized that it was sepsis um I had to get rushed down the same day to have like emergency surgery on my left 
leg. So I've got like a, basically I've got like a five inch scar on that leg. So they had to drain it all out. And then I had, um, then they found more. So then I've got like another scar on like my right leg, one uh, on my right arm, and then one just sort of like under my left bum cheek. I've got one there. So it was, I think it was like four operations in total and then like two drainages as well, something like that. I wow I, I just have to say like it's so it's so hard to hear this first of all but it's so powerful to hear it too because it's this like connection of the dots where you know it feels like well literally just a few minutes ago you know you kind of began this story of I'm 12 my dance teacher tells me get in get in shape a little bit you know and then maybe start you like you start counting calories you start walking more like for this to unravel into what you're talking about now it feels like it just happened so suddenly and I'm sure that's what it was like for you and it's you know just I think goes to show like these small warning signs these small habits obsessions these things that start out that you know, people kind of brush off or friends of people or, you know, support systems of people just, you know, kind of brush off because maybe it's not that bad. It just really goes to show what these can accumulate into and, and how serious it can become so quickly uh, and, and just kind of out of nowhere and how it all piles up. And it's just, um, it's, it's just crazy, you know, hearing the story because we were just there. We were just, you know, you're just 12-year-old counting calories. Now you're in the hospital with four surgeries, a feeding tube, and your family visiting you uh, to basically say goodbye to you because you might not make it. And it's it's just crazy how we got from point A to point B so quickly and um, just how how this is, how this happens, in, you know, in real life to so many people. Uh, and it's just, it's just really you know, hard to hear that, that it can go that way. Yeah. So that's literally in like, yeah, a matter of two months and it, yeah, it just started from me not, not having enough calories. And, but I think that's why I wanted to come on here was because uh, like you said about the pro anorexia podcast and it being a lifestyle choice, I obviously don't agree with that, but also the person that spoke said something about how like she was put on like Weight Watchers at seven or something like that. And that is exactly the same in terms of it's a young age, you're vulnerable as a trigger, something will start it and you have to be careful. This was also before like proper social media was around. There wasn't like Instagram or um, I think there was like Bebo and MSN, but that was about it really. So I can completely see and understand why this is only getting worse. Yeah, that that is truly the scary thing and what I was thinking in the back of my mind. And I know Joe was thinking it because I know like Joe's relationship with social media, too. And uh, some of the views he has is that that makes it so scary. Like when I go on TikTok, which isn't that much, I get terrified about bringing a child into the world. Like I have to be honest. And it's 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 really scary, you know, to think about how this could potentially just only get worse um you know because of social media and everything that's out there yeah yeah for sure it's um yeah it's awful like that was another thing that i that i sort of remember like when i would do like exercises in my room and things like that um i remember having like a magazine cut out and that was like on the inside of my door and it was 
it was like a diet breakdown um but and then it was like certain exercises so I would like make sure I would do them per day and like that was in a like not a kids magazine but like a teen magazine you know Mm. and like I can't remember what magazine it was but that didn't help that did not help at all that that sort of thing should not be in there probably like how to get a summer body in like 30 days or something ridiculous like that um but when somebody is so vulnerable and they do have such a bad eating disorder oh my god it's so damaging so so damaging um but yeah so I got I got out um I when I was discharged which I think is quite a small amount to be fair but when I was discharged I was um two seconds I think it was so it was five basically five and a bit stone so uh what's that yeah, five, five, five and a bit stone, which I personally don't think. Now I look back, I'm like... About 70 pounds, it looks like. So 70 pounds, which is... So it was basically 10 pounds higher than my lowest weight. Um, so I was discharged. And so that was, I think it was about July time. So, yeah, May, June, July. Yeah, so July. So I was there for two months. And then when I got out, I had to have like a Zimmer frame because I had to learn to walk again because obviously I couldn't move my legs and then had to have all those operations as well. I just had, I literally, I remember I couldn't, I couldn't put my feet down. Like it would just be like I was on tippy toes. So I just had to learn gradually through like physiotherapy and hydrotherapy, how to like move my legs properly again. Um, so yeah, when I got out, I was like, yeah, a 12 year old with a, a walking stick and a Zimmer frame. And then, yeah, I had to just go to weekly, go to weekly um, therapy sessions to help that. And I can now, like I can, it's amazing. I sometimes get a bit, I don't really run very often, but I go through my stages of like, when I'll be enjoying running again or whatever. And I sometimes like tear up a little bit, like, wow, I can't believe that, I can do this because I literally never thought I was going to be able to walk again. I thought I was just going to be, well, at one point I just thought I was going to be in a wheelchair forever. So it's absolutely incredible, the human body, but it did take a lot of work and it was so painful as well. But we got there anyway. And I went, I went actually went back to school again, which shocked me when I read it was I went back to school in September. So that was, I was in year nine. Um, I didn't go back full time, but I went back with a tube and everything. So everybody knew about it. You know, it wasn't exactly it. It was obvious that there was something wrong with me because I had this tube and this sticker on my face. But um, I still had to have night feed. So even though I was discharged from hospital, I'd get connected up like every night to have I think I think this was when it was a day's worth of calories put into your body overnight whilst you're sleeping. So you eat and then you obviously have the extra calories overnight. So just to make sure you're gaining weight. Wow. So, I mean, did you, when you got out, like what was your diet sort of like? Were, you know, did they put you on a specific thing? And obviously you had the, the feeder in, but is there any other, like how many calories were you supposed to be taking in? Were you like, was the goal to progressively gain a certain amount of weight every single week? Um, no, it wasn't like a specific amount of weight, but if I'm honest, I think septicemia, having that and like having, knowing that I'd, that was, that was 
the time that I thought, you know what, this has gone too far sort of thing. Like after, it sounds awful, but like nothing was bad enough to make me realise. And I think there was one day where it just sort of clicked in my head a little bit. And um, I just said to my mum, mum, can you get me some jelly? And she was just like, yeah, of course. Went and got that. And then I just started like eating small amounts. I, I would never have eaten like a bag of crisps or anything like that. But I would have, I would have small amounts of things which sort of didn't contain much fat. Um, but that was where I sort of started getting a little bit better. But then when I was discharged, that was when sort of things went downhill at home. Um, and I, I was. It, honestly, it pains me to say it, but I, I was just get, getting violent and things like that. We had to go to therapy and I just wasn't well mentally. So I was put on olanzapine, which is um, an antipsychotic drug. So it's for like unusual, disturbed um, thinking and bipolar, uh, bipolar and schizophrenic people usually have it. So that that's just a sort of, yeah to demonstrate the bad mindset I was in. And yeah, I, I would be abusive. My parents would have to restrain me. Um, but I don't remember this, really. I don't remember much of it because mm -hmm. I think, I didn't think that suppression was a thing really until I read through my notes with a couple of my friends the other day and I was absolutely shocked at how it was like a completely different person. And I can't believe that it made me just feel, it made me feel guilty, you know, for putting my family through that. But yeah, and then. Well, to come out of that, I mean, what was the, I guess, change mentally? Or, you know, how did you, how did you begin to, you know, the, the journey to pull yourself out of that, you know, to eventually get to the stage where you are now, where literally, you know, we're here talking about this on the show today um oh god it's it's really hard to say it's not like there was a certain point um but i think it was just me realizing that life was sort of worth living and i wasn't having a life i wasn't i, I was a child and I, I wasn't having a childhood so i think as i was i guess as i was like slightly putting on weight I was realizing that I was stronger and I felt better in myself. And don't get me wrong, there were days where I, I, I wanted it all to end and I would struggle and I would feel guilty after eating. But if I'm honest, I just felt as though I was sort of getting stronger in, in my mind. And again, this is how like I have explained it to people before, but with anorexia, it's either when you're anorexic, the voice in your head is stronger than you are. Whereas now it's still there. I still have an eating disorder. I know that, but I am stronger than it, if that makes sense. So I don't, like, I'll still know like what I've eaten every day, but I don't track calories. I don't, I don't let it define me. Whereas before the guilt and the shame would overcome my brain. Whereas now yeah. I know that it's a voice. I know that I know that it's not right. So I'm able to. It doesn't overpower my brain. My positive, my more positive thoughts overpower my brain. If that makes sense. 
Yeah, it makes sense. And it's, it's amazing to hear. And is it sort of, you know, a journey of, you know, I think something mainstream that a lot of people kind of have an understanding of the recovery aspect is like, uh, alcoholism is, you know, is it just you kind of going through day by day, you know, making sure there's no relapse, I guess, for lack of a better term, and just, you know, continuing to, you know, kind of get stronger. And, and like you said, understanding, I guess, or being able to admit, like, I, I had this problem, or I, I still do have this problem. Now, it's just a matter of controlling it. Yeah, well, I, I did have a bit of a relapse. So I've only ever had one relapse. Um, and that wasn't to the point where I was hospitalized, but it was when I was doing my GCSEs. And, um, and I think, I think stress can sometimes be a bit of a trigger for some people. And I think like looking back, that probably was a bit of a trigger for me, but it was, yeah, it, it didn't get to the stage of where it was before. It was more like my boyfriend at the time was just like, you're worrying me, you've lost a lot of weight sort of thing. Um, and if I'm honest, I can't really remember how I sort of got back on track with that. Um, but then with me, when I've said about like the antipsychotic drug and stuff, like that had, that stopped obviously at some point, but then there was a point where I was just really, I got really, really low. So I've been on antidepressants for about, so again, this is all because of anorexia, um, which somebody calls a lifestyle. Um, and yeah, I've been on them for years. Um, sometimes I have to like up my dose. It depends on, depends on how I am. Um, but there was a time when I was an absolute mess. Like when, when I was, I think I was about between 18 and 22, I just, I was off the rails in terms of going out, like just drinking, doing drugs, things like that. And I, if I'm honest, I think it's partly because anorexia stole my childhood. I was then meant to, I had then had a boyfriend, but then we finished, we, I was then I, everybody at school who I was friends with, they started going to like sick, um, sick form and different colleges and things like that. And I just did not know how to cope on my mm -hmm. own. And because then I was like, oh my God, I'm actually an adult. Oh, I can go out. And, and I think if I'm honest, I don't think I've actually ever said this to anybody, but I think the reason why I would get so drunk and things was because I would like drink vodka straight. And in the back of my head, it would be because I know that that's, I'm not going to go and drink loads of beer because it's got loads of calories in. Do you know what I mean? It would be like, oh, yeah, that's, yeah. I'd do it on like an empty stomach because I knew that I'd be drinking. So it would sort of be like a, a substitute, I guess. But then I would have no clue what happened. Um, well, for, yeah, like years. So, so it sounds like, it sounds like it's very much, you know, a big part of your life. I mean, and you also described how, you know, you kind of have a better grip on it, like mentally, but physically, you know, where are you kind of at right now? Like, are you at a healthier weight or is it something that you're still kind of struggling with, struggling with to this day? No, I'm not. Um, I mean, I don't think I'm ever going to be happy with my body. I'm like, I'm not going to be somebody that like loves their body. Um, but I'm a size 10. I don't know what that equivalent is. It's a sort of I'm, I'm a healthy weight I don't know what weight I am but that's because ever since I got discharged from the hospital even when I would go um, and have to have reviews I wouldn't let them weigh me um, 
but then I haven't weighed myself since because I don't want to know because I'm worried that that will be a trigger. So I don't weigh myself, but like I obviously know that I know if I've put on weight because my clothes feel a little bit tighter or whatever, or if I've like lost a little bit of weight, but it's never, it's never anything drastic. Um, but yeah, I'm like completely, I'm completely healthy. My, the scar on my left leg, which is my biggest one does give me some, does give me some like jip sometimes. Um, because, because, because it's not a very neat scar. Whereas like the one on my right leg, cause that was sort of more planned because they knew that I had more sepsis in my body. Um, whereas this was a right, you need to go down now to theatre. Um, it's not, it's not very neat, and it's sort of. I can feel like the nerves aren't right in it. Like no one can touch it. I, even I can't touch it. It feels horrible because all the tendons and stuff aren't right. But like the one on my right leg is absolutely fine. Um, and yeah, like I said, I'm able to run, walk. Um, I've got a full time job. I've got um, a long term partner. So. I don't know that's another reason why I wanted to talk to you guys is because I want people to know if they are going through it they can there is a way to get over it um that you just need to make sure that you allow people to help you and there is there is a way out you can have a normal life without it being centered around food completely because that's what I never thought I'd be able to do have a normal life without it just being oh my god how many calories is in that um, when am I going to exercise things like that but yeah I now have sustained a job a relationship um, and I'm healthy yeah and he I mean to hear that after hearing what we just heard about what your body was put through I mean literally to the edge like yeah death around the corner um, it absolutely is and and then you know, even in this environment to hear that of, you know, where you are and um, not having any of those relapses recently and uh, still being stronger than that voice in your head. Um, because, you know, I think it's even more so than ever now, there probably would be triggers all around, right? Like we talked about social media, but, you know, we also now live in a society where people keep a tracker on their wrist of, you know, steps that they need to get. And that kind of goal setting that, you know, I really do think can get dangerous when people are, you know, kind of constantly tracking those things or, or needing to do better. And then their lives start to revolve around things like how many steps or beating another goal. And, you know, there's so many examples of that, um, which, you know, I, I assume could be triggering, but, you know, again, to hear, you know, where you are and where you, based on where you came from is, is amazing. And, you know, I think just so important to just hear that story play out because something like this it what i'm gathering is it can the downward spiral can be so fast and like you said it went from starting to count calories to in the hospital about to die uh with a tube down your throat and that can be so fast but the recovery aspect is a long journey and one that you know you're clearly still on i think it's just important uh for people to kind of hear that you know full story uh and and that ongoing journey that you're on of just you know how much how much this can you know affect your life in in so many different ways and will affect your life you know for the rest of your life yeah and i think it is it's just such a it is such a shame that everything now is so focused on how you look and basically happiness people aren't happy unless they look 
a certain way and I think that there was a well I guess naturally being a 20 whatever female there's obviously bits of me where I'm like oh okay maybe I'll like I'll get like get my eyebrows microbladed or whatever you know but it's not to the point where it take it takes over completely which it did at one point and to put it into um to perspective there was something again in my records that one of the doctors wrote and it was um how one of my mum's friends overheard somebody when I was at the dance show one of this dance show that I was doing um and they referred to me as to me as something from Belson um and I had to google that I didn't know what that was but it's a Nazi concentration camp so yeah you can imagine that you can imagine the state I was in basically um but yeah you would never know now like a lot of my friends who I didn't know back then um they would they were shocked when I told them um I do just look as normal as can be for a 27 year old girl basically wow I mean it's it's incredible to hear we you know we're obviously very happy to hear you know you know this journey and like obviously sorry that this had happened to you at such a young age but and it's just like you know uh I think a very powerful and important story for people to hear um to be in the state that you were in and kind of just you know work your way through it and to now be able to share that story um I think is you know super powerful and you had said multiple times that you know you kind of just wanted to tell your story that you know hopefully you know someone out there who's struggling with this is you know can hear it and have some sort of like hope um so yeah we just really appreciate you you know coming on and and, and sharing because i'm sure that you know it it's going to help at least one person yeah and to me it sort of makes that all all worth it if i can help just one person um is there anything that you want to ask me which i haven't covered because I, I was a bit nervous so i might have not covered some things that you want me to speak about or um or is there no. anything that you you were like oh maybe we can't ask that because i don't mind <laughs> no no i think um i think you did an amazing amazing job telling the story and you know really just if there's anything that you want to leave you know listeners with directly you know any any message to anyone listening that might be going through something similar that might realize, uh, you know, maybe even early warning signs or that, you know, maybe their relationship with food, with exercise or something may not actually be a healthy one, you know, and any message that you want to leave them with. Yeah, I think recognizing that one thing I did was I um, became a bit of a recluse. And I remember even saying, like, I don't need anybody but my family. Um, I don't want to spend any time with friends, anything like that. So that is definitely a warning sign um and feeling as though yeah I guess that each day you want to try and have less calorie well even knowing what calories are in what food I think that's a massive warning sign as well because I know it's on it's on in the UK it's on every see this is I think it's awful but it's on every single piece of food now we've just got the calories written down um so on every piece of packaging so it is sort of hard to not know what is in what um even on a menu now we've got that written down so yeah just to try and not pay I know it's hard but try not to pay too much attention to the calories that are in food because 
if you feel like you're becoming obsessive in terms of exercise and calories, then this is when I know it's hard, but you do need to seek, you do need to seek help or don't push your family away as well. That's another thing. Like when I got to the really bad stage, I didn't want anything to do with them. I wouldn't take any advice. So I just think it's really important to have a, a really support supportive peer group, I guess. And just to try and speak to someone about it. It's not embarrassing. It's, it's an illness. And um, just like having a cold, you know, if you don't feel very well, you tell somebody. So if this is, this is obviously way more severe than a cold, I'm not saying that. Um, but yeah, just just try and speak to somebody. Um, and there is, there is light at the end of the tunnel, you can have a normal life. Because when I was anorexic, or when I was going through the mist of anorexia, it wasn't a life. It wasn't even, it was barely living, to be honest. So, yeah, I think that's... Well, we we really appreciate it. Um, like I said, I think this is going to definitely help somebody. And, you know, this is one of those topics that, uh, you know, I even told Greg, I was like, I can't believe we haven't talked about this before. And I think it's because usually when it comes to these topics, we wait for the right person and the right story. And I think this was absolutely the right one to, you know, be where you are now and to come from where you came from um is huge and uh yeah just just thank you for coming on and and sharing your story oh thank you yeah i think it's just important to know that anorexia sort of it isn't just about oh losing a little bit like a little bit of weight it's everything that comes from that and your body being so malnourished there are so many things that can happen to you and ultimately death um so I'm sort of thankful, like I said, that I did get septicemia because it gave me that kick up the ass that I needed, that I am really, really unwell. But having anorexia is, it is such a savage disease. And yeah, I just, I just hope that it has sort of shown some people who do think it's a lifestyle that it's not a lifestyle, it's not living at all. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely did. And I think it, um, you know, even helped clear up a lot of misconceptions around, you know, what, what it is and what a person, you know, kind of goes through that has this, because unfortunately I think a lot of people, um, still do think that, that, that there's more, maybe more of a choice behind it or, or that it is constantly kind of like looking in the mirror. And I think, you know, kind of explaining everything in detail, uh, just really kind of helps brush that aside and, and give a kind of full picture and understanding. So yeah, you know, thank you so much. We're, we're really happy to hear that, you know, you're in a good place and, uh, keep in touch and, you know, we, we want to know how everything's going with you in the future as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, both of you. I really appreciate it. Thanks. No problem. Have a good one. And cheers. See you later. Bye. Yeah, man. So, uh, I feel like that's a, a really important episode. Um, you know, full disclosure, I mean, I said it like three times already, but like literally I remember when it was on the calendar being like, I can't believe we haven't talked about this before because when you think of this show, you think, you know, the range that we've had already through 12 seasons that anorexia would have popped up because, you know, I think it's pretty prevalent in, especially in, you know, nowadays, you know, a lot of people struggle with body dysmorphia or they just have something that they don't enjoy about their body and, you know, it's not good but um yeah so i mean I'm, I'm glad you know that she came on and kind of talked to us and like i think the story was just very powerful to hear that someone can be 60 pounds and basically on their deathbed and work their way back to 
you know, being healthy at a healthy weight again and overcoming the, the mental aspect of anorexia as well, because I think people forget about that part. You know, it's not just like the weight, it's the, you know, mentality and the psychology behind what is happening too. That's like really big. Yeah, no, totally. And, you know, 12 years old, like that's what's really sticking with me of just how much of a grip, you know, this can have on someone, uh, a child essentially. And yeah, I think it just really paints a picture of, you know, the relationship that, you know, we all kind of have with things like exercise, with food, with calories. Like it is, it really is such a fine line, you know, in just kind of the world we live in. Like she said, it's just now you can't not see calories on anything. And like, don't get me wrong. There's positive to all these things, Fitbit, step, like there's motivating qualities. I think that are important to push people to live a healthy lifestyle. And this is great. And technology helps with that. And, uh, more information about ingredients and what's actually healthy helps with that. But we can't deny that there's a danger zone that these things can push people into where like I'm, and I'm guilty of it myself, like with working out too and injuring myself or going too far or, you know, just mentally needing to do more, be better, kind of keeping this, this track record, like for no one else, like just yourself. And, uh, it, it can just truly get obsessive. And, you know, I think, I think that's really dangerous and, you know, it's hard to find that balance, but you know, if you're able to kind of make that shift of like, I just want to have a healthy relationships with these things because it's like anything, it's like, you know, I'm scrolling through my phone too much. I'm on Instagram too much, or I'm drinking too much or I'm whatever. Like just because these things are labeled as healthy, like, you know, eat diet and exercise doesn't mean that they can't be dangerous as well. And I just think her story and some of the triggers that kind of pushed her through, you know, her experience with anorexia just kind of really brings to light that, you know, full spectrum of needing to, uh, just kind of constantly be aware of all these things because like I said it's scary how quickly starting to count calories can turn into her position near death in a hospital um, completely changing you know her young adulthood growing up the psychological impact of all that uh, and now the life that she has to live uh, essentially you know, making sure that she doesn't have a relapse or she doesn't get triggered. It's, uh, it's just, it's crazy to hear how something so small can get so big in this case. Yeah. And I think it's important. Like what you said is important to note too, that like even healthy things can be abused. Like anything can be abused. You know, if, you know, if you get addicted to like running and, and you're just running so much to the point where you're injuring yourself and you're still out there running because you know, whatever. And it's like, well, this is a healthy thing. People are supposed to exercise. They're supposed to, you know, this and that, but everything in some sort of moderation, like obviously there's a healthy amount of everything in the world. Um, and there's a reason for that, you know, like anything can sort of be, uh, abused in that way. So it's important to try and find the healthy balances in these things if you can, um, because you don't want it to be, you want to be over, come by these things and not saying that you know you have the ability like I, i'm not too familiar with anorexia but i don't imagine that it is something that you could just like um you can't just you know like walk into anorexia i do believe that it is a, a real disease that you know affects people um but it 
you know, as much as you can to kind of try to make sure that you're being real with yourself and like knowing when, you know, you're overdoing it or this and that, you know, otherwise you can end up in a situation sort of similar to this. Um, even if you don't deal with like the psychological, um, kind of grip that anorexia has, uh, over some people. Yeah. It's a crazy story, but glad, uh, glad we got to speak to her. And like we said in the beginning, glad we got to, you know, talk with this guest in particular because of the episode that we did uh, way in the past of speaking to someone who is pro-anorexia, which is just, uh, it's just insane to, to think about. And, you know, again, one, one of the craziest conversations we had um, because there is a community out there uh, that believes in that wild, uh, but glad we got to do this one and, you know, hear, hear her story and journey. Yeah. Uh, for anyone out there, like I said earlier, if you want to be a part of the show, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Go to our website, OPLshow.com, or send us an email directly at OPLpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at OPLpodcast. And if you want to be a patron of the show and get access to all those bonus episodes and our charity arm helping other people, then you can go to Patreon.com slash OPLshow and check that out and leave a rating, review, subscribe, comment, and that's all. Yep, that was all. See you guys next time. <laughs>